All right, Mike, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. How's it going? Fantastic, bud. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? Good. Another day in paradise. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is our second official podcast. Uh, my name is Michael Pearson. I'm the CEO of Battle Rattle. And uh, today we're going to interview a very special person. And along with uh, Jerry, I'll let Jerry introduce himself and our guest. Hey guys, uh, my name is Jerry Schuber. You guys have uh, heard my voice before. Um, I am the creator of Sheepdog Ops, uh, and today we'll actually be sitting down with uh, a current officer, previous officer, yeah, still a, working. a title, a title of many, uh, <laughs> Jesse here. And uh, I'll let you kind of have the floor so that way you can introduce yourself. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. I, I listened to some of your prior stuff and I'm, you know, I'm a big uh, fan and uh, proponent for uh, helping get folks information and basically helping our brothers and sisters out. Well, and that was the big reason why I wanted to make sure you got on the podcast. And I, I, was, I was super excited because I've obviously worked with you on a few different things. Um, and... So having the opportunity to sit down and just kind of go through uh, uh, some of your stories is is going to be excellent for this <laughs> and for other people. I hope so. Not yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you want to talk about a little bit about your background, what you where you've been, what you kind of done as far as uh, law enforcement, um, and where you're where you're at. Yeah. So my background is I. I always said I'd never be a cop. My dad was an officer for 35 years. Got out of the Marine Corps became an officer. I always said, I'll never be a cop. And believe it or not, you're going to laugh at me. But my uh, initial, when I went to college, I was an art history major. Uh, <laughs> took a crim class with a buddy of mine. He wanted to do it since he was five. Took a class, kind of put my toes in the water a little bit. Became a reserve. I was a level one reserve here in California. Liked it. And then ended up going to the Knight Academy. Was married third day into the police academy and still married to my beautiful wife, Julie. And then um, I initially went to Salinas PD um, over on the coast by Monterey, worked a few assignments there, I worked gang intel, I was on the SWAT team. And then I did 23 years at Fresno PD. And then just in a nutshell, I worked in admin. I was the recruit training officer, the supervisor for the police academy for seven years. I was on the hiring team. Uh, let's see, I worked narcs, street narcs, major narcs. Uh, I was alone to the uh, feds, the FBI, and I did all the marijuana cultivation, white collar crime. And then, yeah, I kind of did a little bit of everything there. Got injured, had neck surgery, um, sat home for two years and looked at counted ceiling tiles. Um, and then had surgery, I'm fine now. Fresno kicked me out, retired me for uh, Clovis School District now, School District Police. And then uh, I've also been an instructor at the Police Academy here for uh, post for uh, probably about 17, 18 years now. Like I told you, Mike, this, uh, this guy uh, here has a hell yeah, of a resume. I, I, I needed, I, I was, you know, halfway through, I needed to interrupt just because I wanted to touch on so many things. So, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but real quick, real quick, I got uh, three things. A, mm -hmm. I, got, I got family in Salinas. So I know that that market is 
it's very very bad it's a wild west yeah and then second second i drill in fresno and that's probably a worse area than salinas (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a rough town yeah and then third of all i was curious what did it with all this new marijuana stuff going on can you touch on that, how that would be a white collar crime and, and what you did? Well, it's that not. It, that was like my collateral assignment. We did um, particular, there's certain cases on a street gang here. There's certain, um, how can I word this sense of uh, branches of the tree you want to cut off? You didn't want to cut the whole tree down. Got and uh, But the marijuana was different and it was the feds. So the feds don't recognize the state laws. It's they're the uh, law of the land. So I did everything from uh, dispensaries to indoor grows, outdoor grows, multi-state transportation. Uh, we did little people to start out with, all the way up to I don't know. We did we did a case here with 350 pounds out of Alaska. So all over the map. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Uh, so uh, I, I want to give you the opportunity real quick since we're, we're at the, at that point right now where you can kind of plug. Uh, I know that you work for the Institute of Technology, and that's actually we're sitting in the Institute of Technology right now in their simulator room, um, which this, this place is freaking awesome. Uh, and I know you guys have a lot going on here in the future for programs. I wanted to give you that opportunity to kind of plug that for this. Yeah, it's really excited. So one of my buddies, uh, Dan Manriquez, who I worked with, collaterally at the police academy and it's from the sheriff's department. He was kind of like my counterpart at the sheriff's department. Got me over here and got a great supervisor. She's from the uh, sheriff's department. She has a jail background. Wonderful. And then we brought in a few other guys and a gal from Clovis PD and uh, we're excited. They, it was basically, they had these simulators here that no one else has in, in California or the United States. And they didn't know what they had. So we came in and we we're like, holy crap, this is 360 degrees, you know, light, dark, animals, de-escalation, escalation. You can shoot a Colt AR. Uh, you can shoot an AR-15, an M4, Glock in it. We were like, holy crap. They didn't know what they had here. So That's it's really funny. Yeah, it's really exciting. So we got, to, uh, got the U.S. Marshals in the local office for the Valley. Some other Fed agencies are coming in. We're working on getting it post-certified, which is our state, California State Training Oversee. But um, it's a blast. They kind of let us just run wild with it, so we're good. We're, uh, we're starting CCW classes for citizens here in the next few weeks. April 6th, our first day. Um, do those a uh, few times a month. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of exciting. Guys, two things real quick. Uh, do they char- do you charge a lot for those CCWs? Maybe we've got a couple local listeners. No. Actually, I know I know we have a lot of local listeners because half the people that I've asked to buy shirts from Battle Rattle, of course, come from Fresno units, Bakersfield units, yeah. uh, Concord units. So I know you have people out there. No, I think I think it's pretty reasonable. Uh, my counterpart Scott uh, Sobel from Clovis PD worked LAPD before that. He put it together, and basically, it's the classroom portion that you have to have. Um, talk about all the things, the liability, insurance, uh, mental planning, you know, how to carry a gun, where to carry a gun, what to say, you know, all the legality part of it that's required. And then we come in the simulator 
and we'll do uh, some scenarios. We'll do two scenarios with them, two or three scenarios with them. And they're not like cop ones. One of them's at an ATM. You're just waiting in an ATM. And there's something in folds in front of you, you know, and what, well, you know, actually, that'll like, be one of my videos that we did just a couple weeks ago. I'm still right. editing it, but that'll be on the channel, that, that scenario. Yeah. And it's just a situational awareness. Yeah, That's more really situational cool. awareness. Um, you know, sometimes the best time to act is the action is not to do something or not to do anything, you know, in those situations. So, yeah, it's really – then what happens is we'll go out to the range. The requirement, they got to shoot 150 rounds on targets. And our thinking was, hey, we have the simulator. All five of our instructors are all current or retired law enforcement officers. So versus, you know, going to somebody who just likes guns, you know, you have – all of us have carried guns our whole careers and, you know, used it under stress on daily basis. So we've got a little bit different mindset in the urban setting. So that's exciting. I, I, I'm super excited about this stuff because I obviously I went to school here. I had I got a degree through here. That's how I ran into a lot of these people that we'll be talking to that are local to the Fresno Clovis area. Um, and the simulator with these programs are going to be. I think they're going to be huge here down the road because they're they're planning to do date nights at some point yeah. where where the culinary kids can do some real life experience along with coming in here and shooting in the simulator. So they got some really cool stuff going on, uh, and uh, I didn't know you drilled in Fresno, um, but I, I actually used to work over at the Army Guard over there, so I, I know a lot of those guys over there also. Um, but. Yeah. yeah, for them, that would be awesome for them to come out. And then one of the next times you're down here, we'll get you in here and you can yeah, definitely mess around in it. We even have, there's uh, several scenarios that are in the Middle East or military settings. So you're in the Middle East <laughs> with, you know, guys chucking uh, grenades and LP RPGs at you. So it's fun. There's a, probably about 150 scenarios. Yeah. And each have like that eight branches. God, that'd be fun to get get my unit out there to do some real combat training for uh, instead of an AT or an FTX or something. Yeah, um, some I know the uh, Air Guard guys have the FATS. It's a single screen. They have their own. One of my good friends from Fresno PD is the commander. He's like one of the top guys out there, and he he was interested, but he said they wouldn't they wouldn't fund it just because they have a, the FATS, their single screen out there. So. Uh -oh. But anyway, if not, you guys are down here for the weekend, let me know. I'll come over on a Saturday night and have a good time. <laughs> That's cool. I thought that was funny how you said also that people who have all the funding and all the nicest stuff, they never know what they're doing. That's, yeah. It's always the, it's always the people who don't, who don't have, you know, yeah, legend, legendary story. They don't have shit, but they know how to do everything. Yeah. That's classic. That's classic. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll we'll move right along now because um, I think we're at what we're at point five in our uh, little table here, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into some I think some I, I would call them deep topics, but you know they're real topics because they're everything everyday stuff. And I know you were saying that your dad was a, a Fresno PD or uh, Hanford PD. Hanford PD. He worked for the state police after that. Okay, for thirty five years. Yeah, which. Uh, that's a testament to a career right there. And I know that uh, when we were talking the other the other day, there's a huge difference between uh, what your dad's trainers were, which were obviously in the early, early mid sixties. Yeah. 
your dad's trainers were totally different than what you got training towards and things like that. And the, the gaps there right. is huge. And uh, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about that because I think it's an amazing topic. So my dad, when he got out of the Marines in 65, he applied and got hired by Hanford PD. And his training was he rode with a sergeant for three nights. They throw him a set of keys. Second night, go to a burger. My dad's, you know, 22-year-old Marine, right, you know, right out of the, he was an MP. Guy's a burglary. And this sergeant pulls out a shotgun and kills the guy. And my dad's, <laughs> you know, my dad here, he's young kids, like, holy crap. But he rode with a sergeant for three nights. The sergeant throws him a set of keys, goes, you're on your own, kid. He, wow. he didn't even know the town. My dad's from Chicago. You know, he'd only been in Hanford two or three times <laughs> to date my mom. Jesus. But uh, there was literally no training. <laughs> uh, he had to ask the other guys, hey, how do you report? How do you write reports? How do you write tickets? He didn't have anything. Um, and so it's really interesting that there was nothing. And back then, he was in post, he was in COS, which is College of Sequoias and Visalia. He was in class two. So back then what it is did was you work for a year in the police department or sheriff's department. They say, hey, we like you. They'll send you to the academy, and then it's a 40-hour class. So Jeez. me being, you know, I like to pick people's brains, and I like history of where we came from. I was like, hey, what was the training like, you know, after being a cop for a year? He goes, I think it was about 35 hours of telling stories and five hours of actual, <laughs> you know, training. So Holy it's kind of crap. a different you – know, kind of evolving from that background and where we are at today. Uh, yeah. And then that, that's a whole different thing. Cause obviously your training was a whole different issue or a whole different situation there. Right. Um, yeah. My Academy was a thousand twenty six hours and it typically, I went to Fresno here. Typically it's, it's, it's stayed pretty much on course. It's right about those hours now. So uh, six months. <laughs> And then you obviously you go into a training program and you're there three months. You're with somebody on their hip for three months, being evaluated every call, every contact, so forth. Versus, you know, three nights and here's the here's the kid uh, keys kid. <laughs> I could imagine that. That that doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, I know you had a question. Yeah, that's Jesse. That's, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that's crazy because actually. Uh, I got a couple people at my unit who are Clovis uh, PDs, and I remember when they were going through this training program, they missed a few drills, and it was very stressful, actually, because he passed the six months course, but then those three months of shadowing, you know, right. I, you know, maybe you could touch on that, but maybe if they don't do everything right, is there a possibility that they would say, you know, maybe this you're not cut out for this? Yeah, and, and it does happen. I mean... You evaluate them. I was a FTO, a field training officer at one time where I trained new people. And pretty much everything is evaluated day by day. Everything from your boots, your uniform appearance, you know, talking to people, how you find your way around, report writing, etc. So yeah. what happens is they can extend you. They can say, well, you need to work on X, Y, or Z. They can extend you to a week or two weeks and decide We'll make an evaluation from there. And, you know, I've, I've seen like any uh, career that if people, um, um, you know, they have they have trouble and then um, but they're really trying hard. You know, it's that old adage. If you're got a great attitude and you're working hard, 
you know, most people will bend over backwards for you to make it or survive. So, yeah, that's awesome. So I did have, that wasn't my question. That's just something that I thought about when you were talking, but yeah, I'm sorry. No worries. Uh, but here, here, here's my real question. I think a lot of people could drive some value out of this and definitely it's a very relevant topic. So what I want to bring up is a new person coming into this program, right? We know what they got to do. They got to do the six months, the three months, but what about when something like this comes out? Like, where the guy went into that mosque and he shot 46 people right. and now all these cops got body cams on them. So you really can't say nothing wrong. Like right. what sort, what sort of environment are we setting for these set, setting these new, very important people going into this? Uh, what kind of, what are we setting up for them? Because just, just a very general fact, like, I, I was saw on the news. I thought it was fascinating. Like CNN, Fox News, they have a 15 second delay just in case something crazy happens. Right. Facebook got Facebook and live streaming. That's such a new technology. They got around all that stuff just because regulation couldn't catch up to that. But right. so, so you're dealing you're dealing with a couple dynamics here. You're talking about somebody who went around the laws and regulations, and now a new cop or a new person serving the country has to deal with that. It's it's right. it's it's extremely uh, tough. So I was wondering how you guys are dealing with that, you know, and well, how you would recommend, recommend. Well, I mean, you know, it started probably about 15 years ago. Here, they started putting uh, what they call AVL auto vehicle locators in our cars, and one, it enabled you to have a moving map to find your way around, but it also tracked your speeds and where you went. Well, all the old guys and gals freaked out. Sergeant in a trunk, blah, blah, blah. You know, they went, they got very upset by this. How dare they? But I worked for a, a sergeant, really great man, good person. He said, hey, the old adage, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. Hmm. Um, what I saw as a supervisor of some units, we were having problems. And, and if you don't know, most people don't know, a lot of complaints on officers are just how they talk to people, you know, whether they cuss them out or just how they relay information or don't relay information. It could be as simple as body language. Um, I think I don't wear a body cam now because I work in the schools. I'm with kids, but the whole schools are cameraed. You know, they, they have cameras everywhere. Um, what I've seen and my friends that are supervisors over in Fresno and other big agencies is it's cut down on a lot of the complaints on the officers who are, you know, basically yeah. lack of abusing people. I, and I, I've, I've talked wow. to quite a few people about this, that that topic, especially it was this whole concept that cops all need to have uh, uh, body cams on. And that's what the public was shouting for because they wanted to catch cops doing bad things right. or that thing then to find out that 90 95 or 98 percent of cops were always doing their job right. right it was just that small amount that you're going to find doing bad stuff well and you and you've seen it on the national level too that you have people that are in appointed or elected positions making allegations against officers and they show them the body camera or the footage and it's not what happened it's the opposite so now i've seen where there's some talk from you know, different uh, agencies or groups that that want the body cameras to go away. 
And but yet, you know, three to five years ago, these were the same groups that we need to have these cameras to catch all these officers doing bad things. So I, I, you know, that's such an important point. Here's a value statement. I think that those people who tried to do that actually vindicated the officers and gave them just how great they really are and proved it. And now they, they wanted something that they thought would be implemented for their benefit. And it totally went against right, them. So that's, exactly. that's, that's so, that is so cool, man. That is awesome. Well, and then you also see um, some of these journalists being put in or politicians putting these simulators like we have or scenarios that are outside and they may be a shoot, don't shoot, you know, it's a use of force potentially a situation and they fail miserably and not to say, well, I told you so, or we, we knew that, but they don't have a um, grasp of, well, one, the training that we have or on in general, California, we are the most trained officers in the United States. We have the most hours and, and regulation requirement, which is great. But then, you know, these people see like what potential, I guess how they see things through our lenses now, it kind of changes things. You know, a lot of these people go on ride-alongs or whatever, or, you know, they have family members, they come out and they go, holy, you know, holy crap, I didn't realize you guys did that. I didn't know that. You know, you see these news clips. <laughs> I tell my wife all the time, I should, these new clips of officers just standing there and getting cussed out. Like, that was my life like 10 hours a day, <laughs> every day of the week. You know, I mean, what do you do? So, right. Yeah. It, it, it even, it even vindicates them even more because it really shows you, okay, yeah, they're earning 50, 60, 70 grand a year. And, but look at actually how much they actually work versus yeah. you sitting there in your cube crunching some numbers. Sure. You, you ain't doing nothing. This, this is the guy. It, it is on this, top yeah. of that shift work or shift hours or i mean i worked like 23 out of 26 of my years on nights you know you're working nights and you're going to court in the daytime and your sleeping schedule's jacked up your meals are your food's jacked up uh, you know on top of those again. things so <laughs> right yeah i love that story man that's amazing it took me years to be able to have enough seniority where I could trade my uh, flashlight for some sunglasses. It was nice. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so I'm assuming you got to ask your question. I had to step away for a second. Um, I, no, I totally did. So, so, so bullet point five is covered, but bullet point six is, I think. This is, this is my favorite part because we've obviously talked about the differences in the years of training and that's, this is, uh, you, you said 60s up until now, you know, that's the amount of time that's gone through and the amount of training that's changed in that, in those decades of not only case laws and other things like that, but I think the other valuable part that we're going to hit on, which I was super excited when we sat down and said, hey, I'd like to have you on, was the difference in, as an officer who deals with all this stuff, um, and I want to make sure I word this properly, but how you deal with it as a whole, because I know you were saying back in the day, the big thing was a bottle of whiskey and a Playboy under the seat. Yeah, that's what my dad said. That was their uh, coping in the 60s, you know, a Playboy magazine, and a flask underneath the seat. And and I, I kind of wanted to dive into how that coping's changed 
over the over the time between your dad being a cop, you being a cop, and what you're seeing now in today's society? Um, because this is this is huge for everyone, anyone who deals with any kind of traumatic situation. Absolutely. Well, and again, going back to the history, I started out in the late 80s working for a guy who had 35 years on, you know, started in the, you know, the 40s and 50s. And he was trained by guys who started in the 20s and 30s. So to kind of see how things have evolved, like even societal, you know, and we could talk about that all week. But (laughs) yeah, like my dad, it was a, you know, military guy, tough guy, Marine. You know, you, you, you didn't dare, <clears throat> excuse me, you didn't dare tell your partner or say something like, wow, that was bad or, you know, that sucked <laughs> or, you know, holy crap, you know, talk about those things because you were, it was frowned upon or looked upon as you were weak. Um, I think it was nice for me when I started, um, when I had my dad to kind of lay the foundation to me and tell me how things are and how to work with. But I also worked with a few officers that were my age, had families. I didn't have kids back then, but we had families and, you know, we had each other to lean on each other. You know, it was okay to get in the car and go, holy shit. You know, could you believe that? Could, you know, this is one of the jobs in the world where I think you can go home and you think you have it rough or kind of bad at home and you go home and you're thank God every, uh, every night that you have a great family or my wife is amazing which she is anyway but um (laughs) uh you think that you're very grateful for what you have so luckily i had that sounding board i think that's key to have someone to bounce things off of hey i'm having trouble at home um you know because life happens you know the dog's sick grandma's sick bills whatever it may be we all have those issues so well, and that's and that's that's the huge thing is, is this is kind of relevant across the board because sure. I when I was when I was in the military when I was in the Air Force I dealt with troops that had those problems they had financial issues there you, you got 18 19 year old kids who are getting their first real yeah. you call it a check but um, it, it's not <laughs> and they don't know how to handle it because pretty much everything else is taken care of they have their food taken care of right. they have their housing taken care of. And the little bit of money that they do have, they go splurge all over. Um, I and, and Mike, I'm assuming you you've seen this too. You know the E2, E3 who buys a Camaro for some damn reason uh, for three months <laughs> until it gets taken back. <laughs> so repoed. everyone has those personal sure. problems on top of the job problems. Sure. And um, I know you were talking about a psychologist that you sat down and talked with. Uh, and how did that go? When, when... Well, um, I've been involved with quite a few critical incidents in my uh, my former life, and it's mandatory you go see a psych. And I know you can go and just be a bobblehead and shake your head, yep, 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 and then you're clear to go back to duty. But I was fortunate to have a really wonderful doctor to work with and built a relationship with her, talking with her um, about what happened, because each critical incident is a different um, physiological effect to me or on you it's for everybody you can't write a book and say hey Jerry if you're involved in a shooting a B and C is going to happen right it doesn't work that way so uh, we were able to build a relationship you know where I felt comfortable talking to her she actually brought my wife in to talk with my wife explain things to my wife so it included the whole family before we get too deep in it, I want just so you can kind of 
um, classifies as a critical incident? I think officer-involved shootings, okay. typically. I mean, um, nowadays, the chief uh, dyer that I work for, he's a wonderful man, good person. He's a real big proponent on taking care of you physically and emotionally. Institute a lot of programs from everything from chaplains. I think they had a hundred and some chaplains when I was an admin of every faith, every language. So that's available to the public for call outs, but also to the officers too. And he was a really big uh, person on wellness, you know, besides, yeah, you can come in 10 hours and do your job and go home, but we're still carrying around a lot of uh, things you see and burdens. So um, typically like that, it, uh, officer involved shootings, um, I knew officers, uh, there was a case, and I was involved with this one too here in Fresno, Marcus Wesson, a uh, guy who <laughs> killed his uh, seven or eight kids and his wife, executed him. Wow. Uh, officers had to go in. If you haven't read that or yeah. read up on that story, Mike, that was, uh, that was a hell of a story. That guy was. Yeah, it, when he... <laughs> yeah so we. That's the first. He was on death row, which, as we know in California, I don't want to be political, but, uh, you know, that was all. Now he's not on death row, I guess, now, how that magic wand of the wave happened last week. But, yeah, he just murdered his uh, seven or eight kids and his wife, shot them all behind the ear. So the officers that were involved in the door and went inside and checked that, which there was a few of us, they all sent us to the psych. You know, obviously, got to go. It's it's horrific. And talk it out, work it out. It, then, then also Chief Dyer um, instituted these critical incident debriefs, typically a few days after where everyone sat down and he included the firemen, the dispatchers, the paramedics, and it is awesome. Um, I was in the first one of these happened and I was like, wow, this is long overdue because besides sitting there, you know, talking to a psych and tell them how you feel, you know, you're put into the room with everybody who's on the call um chaplains you name it they're all there and he kind of goes around the room there's a set program on how they do it and then you start hearing from your co-workers or buddies you know or dispatchers what how they felt um yeah it really just changes dynamics and you know instead of sitting at home thinking oh wow and i know this happens in the military too oh man there's something wrong with me or I shouldn't be feeling this way, or this shouldn't last that long, or, you know, just going through the normal cycles of emotions. And and then you see it from your friend, you go, oh, wow, Jerry's, hey, I had that feeling. I thought that, you know, and it, it's just, it's. It gives you the behavior. opportunity. If you didn't feel it, then you really have problems. <laughs> it gives you that opportunity to see that you're not the only one dealing with it. And that's a lot of why we want to do, to do this. Yeah. And I know that. That's the cool thing when we're, we, we circle back around to you being a psychologist who had you and your wife in there and you guys are talking. Um, I know that you had a, a, a huge, huge nugget of information. And it was it, it's it's probably the biggest thing that when we talked like two weeks ago, I haven't stopped thinking about it. It's right. just been one of those things, man, I really that's something I need to institute in my own life. Yeah, and I, I actually I'm with kids now, high school students, and, and I use this all the time. It's one of the best analogies. So. Everyone has, she says, everyone has a backpack that we carry around. And what happens is life throws you bricks, you know, uh, death, traumatic incidents, moving, divorce, whatever it may be in your life. And what happens is your back starts getting loaded up with these bricks. And if you don't talk to somebody, whether it be a coworker, um, 
we have um, chaplains, a psych, your wife, these family. What's going to happen is you're not shedding some of these bricks. Your bracks going to break. So I love that. I've yeah, used it for about 20 years now <laughs> um, because it's a pretty simple analogy. And it's like, yeah, that is true. It really does work. It is a great uh, thought. I, Mike, you said yeah, that's so jump in there with that. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just so therapeutic on so many levels because not just the police or the military, you know, we have debriefings after deployments and de decompression periods, or like, and if, if, if you're a cop, you have, uh, you know, those after action or, uh, uh, post traumatic situations like officer involvement sure. and you can beat it just so, just so sure. therapeutic. Right. But I mean, even if we broke that down, that's a super macro statement. Right. But if you broke that down on a micro level to go to like the business owner or somebody who's working a desk job and he can't stand his desk job or he doesn't like his boss or even a guy who's working a retail job, like some sometimes or who knows what that maybe even take it to an extreme level. Like what what made that idiot go and shoot up that mosque? Like what if he could have used these tactics and it was used on a wide scale level to decompress the situation sure. be super therapy super therapeutic have hella people to talk to and not only that but you're enjoying that shit because it's just unbelievably uh connect you're con you're doing so many different things that you're like connecting with people it's therapeutic you're relieving the stress like i love that and i work right now and uh, with a lot of group poem foster youth that are in a um a, a continuation high school and you know what? It's it applies to them. Sixteen, seventeen. Mom's arrested for drugs. Right. Dad abandoned them. Mom's in prison. You're in a group home. You're in foster care. You're in another county. Well, here you go, Jack. There's all your bricks. I mean, obviously they got more. They got more bricks <laughs> yeah. in the backpack than I had at sixteen, or, or more than right. most have had in a lifetime. And you start talking to these kids, and you know, it, it's as simple as just, "Hey, man, tell me your story." I'm in a uniform. Right. Kids aren't used to that. They're used to, hey, walk and right. turn around, put your hands behind your back. You're going to jail or you're going here. Or there. <laughs> so I, I, I really like it. One of my buddies over there, we just did that. I just started sitting down and go, hey, man, tell me your story. And these kids have some yeah. crazy, inspiring stories. And I started using that backpack analogy because you do have a lot of kids with anger issues, anger management issues, substance abuse. And, you know, you're scratching your head and go, why? Well, if you hear the true backstory, their back's been broken for a long time. Oh, they, 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 they've never had it. Tell them, hey, you can't, you can't carry all this. And I think that's most kids. Because, right. you know, as fathers and as mothers, you, you kind of try and put stuff on your kids. You try to take it off for them. Sure. But if you don't tell them, hey, let's talk about it, let's figure it out, right. they're just going to hold on to it and they're going to be angry. Or they're gonna yeah, be, and, exactly. Man, I use that several times a week with the kids. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that should, if anybody out there is listening, this should be a practice at your work, probably, your kids, probably, your career, probably, just your your situation in general. Because I don't care, no matter what you do, we're in a, you know, we're we're in a country that will do anything to make you work and earn your pay so anybody out there is feeling these pressures i just know that so i mean that, that was such a great analogy i really like i really like that i'm even going to use that oh, thanks 
I can't take credit for it. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I wish I wish someone had told me that back in the military. You you put in 12, 14 hour shifts, 16 hour shifts of doing maintenance on airplanes and stuff like that. And you've got every boss in the world yelling and screaming at you. Not on top of that, you've got financial stuff that you're trying to make sure you have food on the table and all that stuff. Uh, and I, all of that stuff just piles up so quickly and, and you're, you're taught to not deal with it. You're taught to hide it, to hold it in because I know a lot of people who went to psych or things like that and their careers were ruined because of it. They weren't able to continue. Um, That advice and the other advice I got as a young officer, um, I got it when I was young, but it took me many years to actually go into effect was in the work world. You can't, you know, don't worry about things you can't change. You know, I can't worry about what the other Jerry's doing over here. He's not taking enough reports. I, I got control over myself and my abilities, what I have to do. I can't worry about him schmoing off somewhere. So, <laughs> and I, I wish, I wish my daughter would take that into to heart because she got that. that the other advice is, Hey man, I choose when I wake up in the morning, I choose to be happy. How do you uh, do that? <laughs> you know, I came, I'm old enough, 53, pre-cell phone, pre-24-hour TV days of media, and I'm bad. I, I'm, I'm involved with it. I have a phone. I'm on you know, TV, social media, so forth. But, you know, you, you do. You can't. The, what I use to tell, what I tell kids, and I, and I try to abide by it, is I can't worry about what's going on in New Zealand. I can lose sleep, and we can all you know, pray and get on our knees and worry about New Zealand, but I, how do I affect that? I can't affect it. But I do have control over my inner circle, my circle, my students that I have, my family, my coworkers. I know if Jerry doesn't look good or something, I can say, hey, brother, you know, how are you doing today? How's it going? He knows my phone's always on. He can call me, too. Any of my students have my number. Um, so I, I worry about and I take care of my inner circle. And, and I think that's important that we look out for each other that we have control over, um, whether it be our neighbors, our family members, you know, those things. Oh, well, yeah, because we were – what time did I send you that text about, that, about this when we were uh, the other night? It was like 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. And I shot you this over, and uh, I, you know what? Five, ten minutes later, here comes a text. Man, I love it. I'm super excited. Yeah. So uh, I was in Florida too. I was on East Coast time, so it was midnight. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, you know, I I really really love that. Um, you know, we're going on forty minutes, so we'll probably do some closing here if that's okay with you, Jerry. But um, I just wanted to say I really love that because if you can't control what's going on in New Zealand and you're controlling your immediate situation with the person right in front of you that's almost saying stuff like control what you can control and do the best that you can every day to help the person right in front of you. And then if enough people had that message to where we were all doing it in every single place on planet earth or wherever Elon Musk takes us in the future, (laughs) like we'd be a semi decent species. Like there's no reason anybody on this planet should be a piece of shit 
this should be such an enjoyable place. And that's like one way to do it right there. Yeah. I love that. I love that, man. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we're, we're hitting that mark right now. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you, and I know you're going to tell me, no, do you want to do uh, any, any plugs there? Uh, Mike? Uh, I'm good. Battlerattle.com, baby. Buy a shirt. <laughs> I am. I am actually sitting here in one of my new Sheepdog Ops podcast shirts. I've got the uh, the vertical flag with the thin blue line Sheepdog Ops uh, podcast uh, uh, line in there. It is looking great. I think uh, I've I've been asked a bunch about it, so I've got a few people heading that way. Um, you can find all of my stuff on Battle Rattle. They run everything that we do for Sheepdog Ops through them. Uh, and I just want to shout them out and give them a huge thank you. So I appreciate it, Mike. Um, yeah, no problem. And I just want to tell the listeners out there, when you're, when you're listening to this and you're getting value, buy those shirts. It's going to help me and Jerry bring on new people in here. And we're thinking about taking donations. We haven't figured it all out yet. But we're, we're definitely not hitting you with sponsored ads or nothing like that. This is just straight value content. So all the listeners out there, you got to realize that in order to do this, this isn't free. So let's let's keep this great community going and see where it takes us because we have so many things that we talked about, but we can't do it if we don't have the support. Absolutely. Um, Jesse, is there anything, last thing that you want to throw in here uh, before we outro real quick? No, just thanks for having me on. Everyone take care of each other. And again, like, you know, Mike, I'm glad you touched on that. Take care of who's around you, who you can touch, who you can actually touch. And that's a lot of people. That is a uh, lot of people. Yeah, so I love that. No, it, it is it, everybody. I mean, that's we all have our own people. inner circle and that middle circle and that outer circle. Let's take care of those inner circles. The sphere of influence, because that'll take care of a lot of people real fast. I love that. Um, Mike, if you don't have anything else, I'm good. Thank you so much, Jesse, and thank yeah. you, Jerry. Um, my last thing that, you know, I wanted to point out that I wanted to thank Jesse for coming out here and, and taking the time. I know he was actually teaching a class right now. They're next door in the, in the room next to us. So I wanted to appreciate that. And the, the fact that the students gave him up for the 45 minutes that we've had him. And, um, I know that Jesse's super excited for future talks and yeah, we'll absolutely. definitely have him on, Love uh, to. uh, in the future. And as we always end this, um, don't be the sheep in the fight. Be the dog. We will see you guys later. Later, man. Thank you. Later.